in this week's episode of ND Vision. Are your in knees? Maryland. My, my knees are, like yeah, oh, that's when I knew. Them. That's when I knew. <laughs> I said, basketball and carpet do not go along <laughs> well together. So, I, you, so I'm up there playing. Like yeah. <laughs> I do the same. I like, <laughs> so I like just, I'll grip my teeth and like <laughs> yeah. go like this. because <laughs> The music has consumed you at that point. And yeah. it, it, that, that's the way I feel. The problem with some of those guys is they wrote all their songs at the very top of their range. Yeah. So when they were in their 20s and 30s, you know, they could easily go out there and, 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 and fly up to the top of their range and mm-hmm. hit those notes but now you know Bon Jovi's in probably 60 early 60s or whatever he is um, those notes might not even be in his, his range wheelhouse, yeah. hello and welcome to this episode of ND Vision um, I'm proudly joined here by esteemed Music Alley owner and Zor frontman uh, Rick Whitwood hi Rick Good morning, Nick. How are you? That was probably the easiest intro <laughs> that I've ever done. <laughs> um, and you don't have to lean in. If you want to move, feel free to move the mic back okay. to wherever you want it. All right. Uh, um, so the first question I ask just about every guest is, is just uh, tell me about yourself. Well. You can I, start back as early as you want to and, and go from there. Well, <laughs> I'm a kind of a Wellsville kind of guy uh, or Allegheny County kind of guy. I've been here most of my life. Uh, so I was born at Jones and, and um, really enjoyed a great childhood in, in Wellsville, which growing up in the 70s and 80s was a pretty idyllic time to grow up around this area, um, as is probably today compared to uh, other choices. Um, and I did live in Baltimore for a short time. Really? Um, in the mid 80s, uh, right out of high school and decided to come back and start a family and and I've been here ever since. So, wow! I did. I I was I was born in Baltimore. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and half of my family lives down in Baltimore County or, or White Marsh area. And oh yeah, the River White Marsh Mall is that still yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. It's still it's still it's still popular too. I think it was brand new um, when I lived down there. Yeah, eighty four, eighty five. They still have the carousel in there and everything. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they had that when you were. When you I were think there. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you lived in Baltimore for a while, born, bred, pretty much raised in Wellsville. I mean, you're so <laughs> you're front man for Zor. When did your love for music start, and how? Well, I would say about the middle school. Music was always kind of prevalent as far as listening in in my house. I was the youngest of five, mm-hmm. um, so I remember um, way back my mom having uh, records of like. Simon and Garfunkel and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and my older sister, uh, I remember her having like Jethro Tull and, mm-hmm. and Jimi Hendrix experience and things like that. So um, very guitar driven, very guitar driven. And, and um, then, you know, we had kids all in between the two of us. So, you know, we had 45s. And um, so music um, was always a big part of, of my life. And I remember having an old um, record player that looks almost like a little suitcase. Uh, and I remember the first record I remember having that was kind of like my own and listening to it probably three, four, five years old was Johnny Horton's Greatest Hits. Who's John? What, what song does he sing? He's a country singer. I don't even know how we got the record because no one really in my house, my parents, uh, my parents weren't really necessarily country music um, people, but he was a storytelling singer from the 
uh, 50s and 60s. It was a country artist, pretty major country artist. And his hits included Sink the Bismarck and what's the other one? Um, Battle of New Orleans. Okay. Um, great story songs. Yeah. Um, so that that was your first record. How? What was your first guitar? My first guitar. That and was. Uh, when did you just start to start playing guitar? Okay, so um, when I was in ninth grade, I had been enamored with guitar for a year or two at that point, and and not hadn't gotten a guitar or anything. But um, one of my buddies um, got a guitar, and he hadn't learned to play it yet. But I can remember staying at his house, and I think we were in eighth grade at that point, and he had this guitar. And it came from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, yeah. um, and it was called a Global, and it came with a matching amp, and it was sort of a Les Paul-shaped guitar, um, a copy, of course. But um, I remember staying overnight with him sometime in eighth grade and just thinking, wow, that thing is the shape and the form and, and the way it looked and the way it felt when you held it. It was like... I have to, <laughs> I have to investigate this at some point. Yeah. So I started saving my money um, in ninth grade, um, and thinking about the potential for guitar. And came time about spring, basketball season had just ended, and all my buddies and myself were sort of preparing for baseball. We were freshmen at this point, and. Um, there were a few things that happened that, that um, made me question whether I was going to play baseball or not, um, even though I felt like I could compete at baseball yeah. very well. Um, I had convinced myself, um, as your 13 or 14-year-old mind sometimes doesn't always think as clearly as it should, <laughs> that that if, if I played baseball, then I probably wouldn't have time if I did get a guitar. So um, the day came um, where tryouts were, and uh, we went to the Brooklyn School, which is down on Brooklyn Avenue, or was down on Brooklyn Avenue, where the now tennis courts are. There was another school there? There was a school there, and it was, oh. a, middle, it was a middle school. When I, went, when I started school, I went to kindergarten there, so it was a school. We used to have neighborhood schools, which is really cool for Wellsville. Um, so you didn't even meet your eventual classmates until third or fourth grade because the Martin Street uh, Medical Building was a school. The Brooklyn School that I was speaking of was a school. And then the elementary building before they added on was a school. So you went in your own neighborhood. Really? And my neighborhood was, uh, I was a Highland Avenue kid. So uh, Brooklyn School was my school. And it eventually became the middle school. So um, um, w the bus left from the middle school at the time from high school, um, in the middle school, and it went to the practice. And all day I had taken my baseball glove and I had taken 80 bucks. Wow. So that was my budget. <laughs> and and I had been agonizing for, for a couple of weeks on what to do. And um, that day I remember having a study hall late in the day and, and uh, still trying to decide if I was going to get on the, the, the late bus and, and head for uh, JV baseball tryouts or walk up to Rice Music and buy a guitar. So, What's Rice Music? Rice Music was uh, one of the really um, cool old stores that used to be on Wellsville's Main Street um, back in the days when we were just lined with all kinds of stores. Where? So Rice Music is now where the Gamers Portal is. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of next to, to Elsie Whitford there in the house. Yep. 
Um, so it was there for many, many, many years, Rice Music House. I, um, it was a venerable old music shop the first time I strolled in in the late 70s or early 80s. So I've never heard. I feel like I've heard of most of the popular old stores, but I've never heard of this one. Rice Music House, yeah. And that's where I, I, uh, I didn't go to baseball practice, and I went and I bought a guitar. And um, it was a Norma. Um, which is a Japanese guitar that was kind of like surfy looking. And um, it, um, lucky enough, a, a, f- a friend of mine, Court Dunham, went and met me there and he played a few and he put his uh, stamp of approval on that particular guitar. Really? Um, and that was the first guitar that I ever had. So, so now, <laughs> it's funny that you had someone else pick it out for you now. Could you ever let someone else pick out a guitar for you? you I mean, you'd have to play it yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, guitars are very, very personal, and, and yeah. so they gotta like feel this right. They have to sound great. They have to fit your body and feel like it becomes part of you. So yeah, um, I feel like I know within the first twenty seconds if I like a guitar or not, and then if I don't, I'll just kind of set it back down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. My wife, whenever I used to drag her to uh, Guitar Center and, and here and any other music shop that I would see, and she'd know automatically if I liked a guitar because I wouldn't put it back. Yeah. I'd just keep playing it. <laughs> um, the other ones, you know, I'd play for a few seconds, maybe a minute, and then I'd put it back because I didn't really care for it. Or it was out of tune and I didn't feel like tuning it. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Um, so you got your first guitar, and... You had someone else pick it. You had your buddy pick it out for you. Did you? Did it come with an amp? Or I uh, didn't have enough money for an amp, um, so that was the next um, benchmark of saving for me. Um, at the time, I really had um, dropped my paper roots, and so it was down to like maybe playing cards in, in uh, this game. I can't remember. You played quarters and three of you uh, would flip. And <laughs> you were a hustler then. I, I had to get good at those things early so I could save up for the amp. But um, I had a stereo at home at that point where I played my records on and it had an input. This uh, and it was a suitcase. A, um, this was um, now I had upgraded to like a what they would call a shelf system okay, um, yeah. or a tabletop system. So it was a nice little all all in one stereo that had a eight track didn't have a cassette uh eight track radio turntable and two speakers um that was cutting edge back then though, cutting, right? cutting, <laughs> cutting edge and it had an input a quarter inch input um which I plugged my guitar into and as long as I kept it real quiet I didn't damage the the stereo speakers yeah. that's that was my first 6 months at least uh was playing through that or no amp at all and that was zero distortion either Zero distortion. Or overdrive. Now right? you know why I, I yeah. always <laughs> Mine are all clean Fender sounds. <laughs> um, so it was a surf style guitar, because you play Fender styles now. I do. That? Yes, I do. For a long time, I, my favorite guitar was a Gibson Les Paul, which I still have. Um, probably the first 15 years of Zor, well, that would have been considered my number one, a Gibson Les Paul. Okay. Um, and... If anybody out there has Les Pauls, they know that they're kind of temperamental and tuning is a little temperamental on them. At least I've always found. I love the guitars, but um, I tried a couple of Telecasters and and you could leave them on the band truck for a week 
and the temperature could be zero, and then you could pull <laughs> it out, and you could play the gig, and it would still be in tune. Still in tune. And then I just fell in love with the way it felt and, yeah. and the way it played and the way it sounded. And it's very simple guitar, um, so there's not a lot of bells and whistles. But once you get used to the layout and and the, where the volume control is and how simple the guitar is, that just sort of like melted into my style and my, you know. And they, they have a deeper tone than a Strat, too. The tellies? Yeah. They can. They can have a sharper tone, too. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Because, yeah. well, I'm only thinking, like, because my generation is pop punk and, right. and or, or, you know, new metal. So the new metal guys, if they played a Fender, they'd play a Telecaster. And then, like, the pop punk guys would play a Squire, like, Green Day or uh, yeah. Two. Yeah. Yep. The weird thing of it is, is those guitars um, do get associated with a certain sound, but um, those guitars that you mentioned and, and more are such universal instruments. They can yeah. be, you really can set them up uh, to your own taste, depending on how you set your amp up. And um, so it's really interesting how versatile a guitar can be. Yeah. I'm surprised that you went with uh, Fender because I feel like you're generation would have been like the hammer guitars and stuff like that right um but, well we, we <laughs> the were jacksons uh, or no that, that should have been should have been yeah um that's true um but my buddies and me that all started playing and getting into music um even though like the stuff that was popular um in the 80s early 80s and stuff um that became real popular bands like iron maiden yeah. and judas priest and you would see kids wearing those shirts and whatnot and then new wave bands um or, or bands that might have had a popish uh, like cars and stuff like that yeah we we weren't into that uh, even though they're great bands and i like <laughs> some of them now we were into the doors yep. and the almond brothers and and the Stones and Leonard Skinner and, and stuff like that. Southern so, rock, kind of. Southern rock. Uh, the guitar players were so good. Yeah. Um, they were like the killers of, of sound. So um, as young guitar players, it was hard not to, um, you know, uh, although some of my buddies, you know, or other kids would have been influenced hugely, like by Van Halen and um, hats off to those players. They're incredible players, but they weren't what really touched us. We were more into what the, the hippie guys were into. Yeah. Um, the, mm. Just a generation before us. And that's where we all cut our teeth on that kind of music. That's, that's super interesting. Um, yeah. So you, so you got your first guitar, you eventually got an amp, I'm assuming after playing Yeah, I saved up <laughs> and I got a, I think it was 99 bucks. The amp was a little bit more than the guitar actually. Really? At the time. How big was it? Um, it was a, probably... A small, not a tiny practice amp, the next size up from that. Okay. It was a Fender Harvard, which was a solid state amp that came out at the time. I think it was 20 or 25 watts. And I think it had one 10-inch speaker. 10-inch? Uh, enough to play play gigs if you cranked yeah. it all the way up because um, that's what we used at the beginning. I have a I have a crate that's a, that's a one by... 15 I think it is that I just have in my studio and I don't need anything louder I used to I remember I bought a couple I think I bought a Marshall half stack for you at one uh, point <laughs> and that was too much in my parents yeah parents basement <laughs> um did you were you in any bands before like did once you got when when did you feel like you were good enough to join a band or did you just get excited and say I want to join a band well guitar is an interesting journey Everybody wants to be good very quickly. Yeah. And it is just not like that. It takes 
so much time and so much practice. I almost gave up. I after I, I got the guitar in March, and I think it was well into the summer, just as tenth grade was starting. I really still couldn't play anything that sounded musical to me. Really? Um, nothing, nothing. I had a book, a Mel Bay book, and um, I just couldn't even, I had no relevance on even how to tune it. Um, huh. So finally, and neither did my buddy. So, so we all, <laughs> we, it was just like this mystery that we couldn't seem to uh, solve. Was and, that before they had tuners or? The tuners were even more than the guitars and the amps at the time. Jeez. Yes, the electronic tuners at the time were about 120 bucks. Um, Did they have like a record that was like a guitar tuning record that you um, could buy or something? Pitch pipes were were popular or um, these little pitch pipes that had the six guitar notes. Huh. And, and I had a pitch pipe, but it has a tone, even though it plays the correct note. It's, it's a reading sound compared to a string sound. And at the time, my ear wasn't developed enough to to connect the two, um, to tune my guitar with the pitch pipe. I just couldn't do it. But finally, this um, um, uh, I went. I, I booked a lesson. Okay. And got my guitar tuned. Was it at Rice? Uh, was not at Rice. Um, the, the, the same guy that helped me picked the guitar out. Um, okay. Court. Yeah. Uh, I started taking a couple of lessons, and he tuned my guitar. And when he tuned the guitar, then I played a couple of the chords that I had been working on that sounded so bad when the guitar was grossly out of tune <laughs> that actually sounded musical. Huh. So then, then a little light came on that may, maybe if I stick with this, because I nearly quit. I nearly just gave up and said, okay, this I. And how, how old were you at this time? Um, I would have been 14 probably. Okay. Yeah. Entering 10th grade, it almost uh, just was like too much. Um, I played football. I played basketball. I thought, well, you know, I'll just stick to sports. And, I didn't realize uh, you were that athletic of a guy. Um, yeah, I'm in the Athletic Hall of Fame. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> I went to side. Basketball was my uh, thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I eventually concentrated pretty heavily on basketball. Okay. Hmm. Yep. Um, so you're 14, you're playing a bunch of sports and in the midst you're, you're learning guitar. So did you not start or join any bands until after high school or? So we, we really had the blueprint for our band set up before we even got the guitars. Oh, okay. And you know, yeah, you know yeah, how yeah. that is yeah. when, when you're yeah. like <laughs> middle school or, or ninth or 10th grade, you kind of lay out your buddies. Okay. This kid's going to play, um, guitar and, and and here's our bass player and we need to raid the band room and find somebody that knows how to play drums because yeah. <laughs> none of us play drums. <laughs> so um, we kind of had the, the general layout of, of who, you know, we just needed to learn to play. So we just weren't making absolute noise and it progressed. So by the time I say I was a senior, um, we had a band together. Our band was called Jack Frost at the time. Okay. Um, mostly high school kids. One kid had just graduated and one guy was, um, we were 15 or 16. I think he was 21. Oh, he was the one he that was, was buying he, beer. He was the old guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he probably was the one buying beer. Oh, well, it was 18 back then, right? It was. It was yeah. 18. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how we started. And we uh, played, got, so we, we actually progressed from just like garage sounding band to actually sounding like a real band, even though we still were not um, really seasoned musicians or anything. Right. Um, we, we could go and sound like a real band, um, at least and get through a night. 
Now, did you did you sing right off the bat? Or um, we had a, a singer, singer at the time, um, and he was good, and that helped. That helped. That was Dean Parker. Um, he was the one that was uh, uh, in col- just in college, okay, ahead of us. So that helped at first. Um, I did not sing uh, enough to know that I couldn't sing well. <laughs> so um, luckily, um, just like guitar, um, uh, at the time, my girlfriend was, was she played some piano and she played violin and she sang um, somewhat. And, and she actually helped me learn how to sing okay. um, and figure out, you know, the pitches and your range and, and, and all that stuff. So I can't sing at all my wife my wife is a singer she's in the uh genesee valley chorus that they have well she could do the same for you i'm sure (laughs) i I told uh rich here the same i just sound like a dying cat when i try to sing so (laughs) it's best that i just don't do it singing for me it was was like last on the list um believe it or not the main reason that attracted me to guitar to begin with ladies um no that, 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 that seems like a, 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 a typical answer but that's that was not even in the realm of thinking for me it was ah. it was uh writing songs okay yeah so i had always been interested in kind of like uh, the art of writing songs and in I always fancied myself sort of as a as a word guy, mm-hmm. and I still do. Um, I love to hear words and language that lays out that is inspiring, or you, you know, just in a way that like can strike a chord. So I I had the idea of writing songs, but I knew I needed an instrument mm-hmm. um, to help me in that um, uh, you know endeavor. So uh, I got the guitar. So songwriting and guitar are my number one and two, but really to bring the voice um, to the um, songs that seems connected in, in uh, genuine with, with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no middleman, so to speak. Then I started working on, on the singing part of it and, and just kind of went from there. That's so interesting. You're an artist, like a true artist. Well, I who is to, also a jock. I, yeah, <laughs> which is an unusual combination. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, early on, when you're in in an area far removed from the musical epicenters of the world, mm-hmm. you realize that you know you're probably not going to be a touring musician without relocating, or you're not going to ever get your songs heard by a huge number or by the masses. Um, but early on. Even when we started Zor, that was sort of one of our missions was um, not just to be a cover band. Yeah. We had to have an original music component. And that's sort of one of the threads that brought us really tightly together. And um, so we've done it since then. And we Zor's had two albums. I've had one of my own. And um, uh, so even though we've never had any illusion of being like touring superstars or anything like that, um, the creative artistry was yeah. always part of of my um musical life for sure so you've done enough with zor that you're happy with what you've done yeah yeah we, we were on a 35 year soon to be 36 year run at this point mm-hmm. um and um obviously we have more I've, i wrote this recently on a post we have uh, more days in the rearview mirror than we have you know looking forward okay. with the band mm-hmm. um but um it's certainly been a great run 
and a great experience, which I thought probably would last four or five years, which is the typical life of a local band, maybe not even that long. Yeah. Because there's so many things um, to balance within a group to keep it going, um, scheduling regular jobs. Families eventually. Families, personalities, yeah. uh, yeah, you know, activities that you like to do for leisure things. So it's amazing that we've, you know, been together as long as we have. So when did your when did your high school band kind of fizzle out and when did Zor start? Okay, or were so there a couple in between? The Baltimore was in between. Okay, yeah, Baltimore. Yep. yep. So um, as we graduated, um, I graduated in '83. So it was as me and my buddies graduated. Um, you know, everybody kind of laid out plans for college or, mm-hmm. or what to do after school. That's kind of, you know, that's the point that it fizzled out right at the tail end of our senior year. And we all had made sort of plans of what was going to come after for us. And, and um, you know, after a few, you know, diversions, I ended up in, in um, a recording school oh. yeah, in, in Ohio. Okay. It was like three months called the Recording Workshop. It's still there. I um, went to a trade school as well. It was yeah. the uh, Sheffield Institute of Recording Arts okay, yep. in, in Phoenix, Maryland. Yeah, I've... Um, I knew right where that place was. Really? Um, yes. Huh. As a matter of fact, weird thing that that was a studio as well. Yeah, it still is. So they recorded a uh, all time all time low there when I was in school. So I, I love telling people that I know the guys from All Time Low, and they never believe me until I show them a music video that I did in the studio in that school with them. <laughs> well, how about that? So when I I went to Baltimore in '84 um, after this school, and and I got a job in a small studio. Um, part-time because the studio was part-time okay and I was you know hoping to get sort of into the recording studio kind of thing as a career and I had to work um, I worked as a carpet um, installer with a carpet installer first as a uh, helper and uh, so I got to to know an interesting fabric of of working folks um, because that's a, a whole culture into itself is, is, is like carpet and flooring guys. How are your in knees? In Maryland. My, my knees. Don't you have to like yeah, smash oh, that's when I knew. The... That's when I knew. <laughs> I said, basketball and carpet do not go along <laughs> well together. So um, I knew that that wasn't going to be um, a lifelong career uh, carpet. So um, I was looking for other jobs mm-hmm. and I had applied at the Sheffield studio. Um, there yeah. happened to be a guy there that that um, um, knew a guy that I knew, one of those deals. But anyway, this guy worked at Sheffield, but he was also a carpet measurer. So yeah. he'd go out and just measure jobs, real easy um, thing. And he was uh, s- somehow involved in this studio. So I got his card, and he told me to leave off a resume. Um, and at the time, we were real torn on whether to move back to Wellsville Um I had just gotten married and we had a a baby and, you know, facing, you know, the idea of staying in Maryland, you know, near a more urban area, raising and putting your kid in school in that um, sort of um, atmosphere or um, maybe moving back to a small town. We were like undecided, but we had just decided to move back to Wellsville. And I got called from Sheffield Studio oh. for an interview, um, and and I talked to the guy that was a, sort of a pseudo connection. But you know, I had the educational background at least to be yeah. entry levels assistant engineer or something like that. And um, and w- w- the plans were already made. So so I, you know, if if you know 
a week or two before that, I could be worked at You could have been Sheffield. one of my teachers. That's right. I <laughs> this I is wild. Yeah. What a tiny world, a tiny, tiny world. Yep. And they were doing um, I th- important bands when yeah. I went out there. Um, I think at the time, um, there was a band that was a national band called Crack the Sky. I believe they were in the studio recording at Sheffield um, when I made my first connection there. So did you live in Timonium or Towson or? I lived in um, um, Middle River. Middle River's where my dad lives right now. Middle River. So I go down there multiple times a year. Oh, wow. (laughs) Middle River. I lived in Middle River in. in, um, Do you miss the crabs? You know, I like them, but I never <laughs> love them. I'm not a huge seafood. Oh, yeah. What about Natty Bo? You miss Natty Bo at all? Did you ever drink that? Uh, no, I never. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not really a drinker, so I don't know that. Um, what I miss is um, up here we have snow cones. Oh yeah. Down there they have snowballs. Snowballs. Yep. And it's it's a muchly finer um, shredded shaved ice. Oh, so it's it's incredible. They, they, they had were incredible. stands everywhere. And they also have this thing: if you ever go to Baltimore, people, you got to go to a pit beef stand. Oh yeah. Incredible. Yep. Um, they're just amazing. So pit beef and, and snowballs uh, if you go to Baltimore. And their and their um, crabs and, and and silver silver queen corn. I think it's called silver queen. Yeah. It's yep. super white. Yeah. It's still super sweet too. Yeah. This is so crazy. This is a tiny world. Yeah. Because um, so, I do. I spend, I mean, half my family lives. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of a nostalgic kind of guy. So um, many years later, my niece got married and she still lives down there um, in that area. And- Went to the wedding. This was probably mm, 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Uh Um, And I had to make sure that that I went to, even though the wedding was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes away. um, I made sure that I drove back through Middle River. Yeah. Just to see where the apartment complex was. Everything had changed a great deal. And I just wanted to like make that one more connection with with where I lived when I was in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. So I do I do that too. Whenever we go down through Philadelphia, I'll stop and I'll swing by in Chester, our very first apartment, and then I'll drive through Media where I worked and stuff. Nice. Um, so you moved back now. Uh, you have a wife. You have a kid. How did did is Zor the next step, or is there bands in between? Um, real close. That would have been in like '85. Okay. And at that point. WJQZ was just starting. Yeah. And I applied there and I got a job working the weekends and I laid the ground. I worked at the soundtrack in Alfred for a, a couple of years. That was a stereo store. Oh, um, all right. And that was a, a cool place to work. And and as, as that was all kind of going on at the same time, working weeks, weekdays there and weekends on the radio station, I laid plans for my first um, foray into entrepreneurship and, and I had a indoor miniature golf course. What? um, On the Bolivar Road where Whitwood Motors is now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was an indoor miniature golf course and game room. No, Um, no crap. Wow. We need stuff like that nowadays. (laughs) We really do. It was a really cool idea. We were there um, 86 to 89-ish, something like that, about three years. It was a blast. Um, It took an incredible amount of work to get it laid out. It was the old Wellsville um, hangar, so okay. it certainly had the room. Because oh, um, the airport used to be right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that building started its life as the hangar. It was Milton Sweet Motors for a time from late 60s to the mid-70s, and then my dad bought the building um, and had Whitwood Motors there. Yeah. And he used to have used cars in the area that became the um, miniature golf course, but with the gas crunch and 
all the weird things, the oil embargo, and it, it sort of like really disrupted that business over the years. And and he was still um, fixing cars and, and doing repairs and, yeah. and things of that nature, even customizing vans. But the other section, the large section, was largely un, unused. So, so we decided um, to try, it was an idea to put an indoor miniature golf course in with a game room. And it turned out to be a really cool place. It was called Fun Putt. And it, <laughs> it was great. Um, the one thing of it is, is being in the Northeast, um, and the type of the building it was, it's a tin building. Oh, yeah. Um, the winters where you did most of your business in the winter because yeah. it was an activity. Um, but the heat bills even then were like the overhead was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. That's one thing we probably should have um, planned a little better when we laid the place out was some, maybe some sort of insulation, better insulation, but it was such a huge space to, to warm, you know, yeah. keep warm anyway. Um, and it was outside the village limits. So you're talking, you know, everything, um, you know, electricity costs. So the overhead, um, probably was the one impediment that kept that from being, um, a long-term, um, success. But for a while there, it was, it was incredible. It was wow. an incredible run. And I was in my early twenties and it was just a blast to go yeah. work <laughs> in an indoor miniature golf course, you know, with a game room. And, uh, I probably would have gone on some dates there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely became a, a teenage hangout because yeah. of the game room. Um, so on Fridays and Saturdays, it, it was um, it was loaded. I still see folks around that are of that age group, uh, just younger than me, that were teenagers, and and I always like consider myself or consider them like, hey, that's a fun putt kid, you know, because yeah. they would have come to fun putt, and and when their parents dropped them off, largely they were in very good hands, well, yeah. you know, because I tried to keep a real close uh, watch on everything and make sure safe environment. Yeah, safe environment. And, and all that, but all that was going on is, is that, you know, I, I was thinking about that might not be the, um, you know, end game for, um, my, uh, business career. Right. Um, I took a full-time job at the radio station, mm -hmm. uh, WJQZ. So and that's one Oh three, five or, um, back then it was, it is, I believe back then it was 93.5 WJQZ. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have um, Bob Mangles on the show, um, in a couple of weeks, I think. So. Okay. So I think he, <laughs> he bought the station, um, from, um, the Murphys really bought the station from Mike Baldwin and Terry Swift, who I worked for. Um, and, and I, so I worked at WJQZ for f their first five years, essentially. That's so interesting. I thought that he, I, I mean, as long as I can remember, it's been Bob Mangles' voice. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. So before, before that, um, uh, WJQZ was all live DJs. Uh, it was a wonderful, cool, uh, station to work for. What, what time, what years were that? Um, started in 86, I believe, 85, 86. I think I came aboard in 86, um, three or four, five months after they started um, as a weekend guy. And they had live DJs all the way up until um, they even had overnight guys. Um, huh. Yeah, they have overnight guys. That's wild. Um, yeah. Yep. So um, I originally had the Sunday, Saturday and Sunday morning programs. Um, and then eventually um, my first uh, weekday stint, I was the afternoon drive guy. Okay. Yep. And then I moved up to midday. Um, afternoon. I feel like afternoon drive guy would be 
That was a like pretty good premiere, right? That was pretty good, yeah. Because during the day, who's, I mean, who's... Businesses listen during the day and you get home. Oh, uh, okay. But afternoon drive was good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I liked that shift and... and Did um, people call in requests and stuff? Were you like, oh, yeah. call in your requests that you'd like to hear after a long day of work? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Can I hear your radio voice? Um, it's the same. Is it the same? Oh, yeah, same. Um, um, I... I've been told many times I have a distinctive voice. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't going to change. Um, you know, I wanted everybody to. I I didn't want to get on there and try to put on some sort of. Yeah. We had people that did that, and, My, and it always sounded sort of hokey and, and, and <laughs> pretentious. <laughs> this is Eric Wilson from WJQZ. Yeah. My, like, wow. Come on, dude. <laughs> my uh, my friend my friend Heidi. Uh, well, it used to be Heidi Mangle. She's married now, but we always pick on her because she definitely has a radio voice. You know, she's like, "Welcome to." You know, uh, the weather outside is going to be double nickels, and she doesn't sound like that in real life. So, and she's like, "I don't have a radio voice." Like, yeah, you do. <laughs> um, so you're working at the radio station. When uh, have we gotten to Zor yet, or is it okay? Yeah, so that's when Zor started. Um, um, in in 1988, year um, I was born. Um, maybe even 87. 87. Um, the guys around that were literally like my. Um, uh, musicians that I had always admired and, and sort of like patterned myself um, as far as his professionalism and, and things like that when it approached, you know, that approach toward musical gigs and things. Um, they were putting a band together and um, um, I was, uh, you know, lucky enough to sit in and do a couple of rehearsals and, and um I had a project going already, and so they started and played a um, for a few months, um, and then actually um, one of their members decided to leave. They had a female vocalist at the very first beginning, and and then um, the project that I had going um, really was it was farther away. It was in Bath, and it looked like it might not. It didn't look like we all had the same kind of musical um, interest, which is tough. Yeah. Um, so, so I jumped in, um, and we, you know, jumped back with the Zor guys and rehearsed up and started playing from from '88 um, till now. So, and did you jump right in singing, or did you just? Were um, you I, they had great singers already in the band. Um, Court Dunham, uh, guitar player, great singer. Um, mm -hmm. Monty Case was the drummer, also a great singer. So they had really good vocals already. So luckily, I was able to come in with. Um, um, the songs that I had, we had already worked up a couple of originals when we, f when I first jammed with them right at the very beginning. Okay. Wow. Um, and I was super interested in the original thing. And then I brought probably four or five songs vocally. So we've always split it up. That's been one of the beauties of the band. Um, even now is, is everybody's voice fits in a different area. Right. So you, you know, you pick a song. And you kind of know which guy should sing that song. Um, generally, mm -hmm. um, it's usually very evident. And how did you become? I mean, well, you're you're the lead of the band as far as the well, face wise. <laughs> when you when you're on stage, you're up front and center, right? How did that happen? Does it just kind of work out that way? Um, somewhere along the line, you know, I started singing more, yeah. and and then we had a membership change in like '92, I think. Um, some somewhere in there and at that point um you know i would say 
there was a slight vacuum in, in um, somebody that would get up there and, and speak. And mm -hmm. um, maybe if, if you were at a wedding, announce the songs. Maybe if you were at a regular gig, um, you know, be the one to right. uh, engage the crowd. So I just filled that vacuum, um, you know, pretty naturally and, and just went from there. You got the face. I guess, and, and, and you know, when you play guitar, <laughs> I, I get lost up there. So, you know, yeah. I, you know, sometimes you're making these incredible faces, you know, yeah. as you're playing. <laughs> and, you know, I don't care. <laughs> so and my, my I get wife, lost. My wife harasses me all the time because when I play guitar, I move my, my lips to like, I don't know why, but I like move my lips to the to the rhythm or whatever I'm doing to well, keep me in, in time. I don't know what it is. Well, here's what I think. If you're really engaged and it's really like flowing right from the deepest part of you, yeah. you're like, you, you forget everything about you. You're not even worried or thinking about what you might be doing. You know, uh, you, so I'm up there playing. I like, I like, I'll grip my teeth and like, yeah. go like this. Cause yeah. <laughs> she, the music has consumed you at that point. And yeah. it, that, that's the way I feel. So <laughs> when we go see one of my, my, my all time favorite guitarist is, is Mark Tremonti and he makes some faces, man. Yeah. Oh, he's just like pushing his lips really hard and push it down. And yeah. I think you're just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're digging for deep emotion yeah. uh, and you want it to like come from your body through the guitar yeah. and connect with the audience. And then that exchange comes back from the audience. That's, that's the ultimate goal in music. Um, so yeah, sometimes those things just, you, you, you can't be up there posing. You gotta <laughs> no. just let it, you know, flow out naturally. I think that's what, 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 uh, just looking at the old videos, live performances by like hair metal bands, it was all just a front. I mean, not Van yeah. Halen. Like Van Halen's really yeah. like playing, and there's yeah. great guitarists. Yeah, I don't think you can consider them hair metal. They they predated the hair metal, yeah. and and they, um, you know, they were concurrent as far as the years some of their music came out, but yeah. they never were like. Um, and there's other bands in there that get lumped in that really aren't, but. In the 80s, there was a bit of posing going on. Um, <laughs> when the moose in your hair is more important <laughs> than, your, than your guitar tone Aquanet, in the spray. There you yeah. go. So, yeah, that, that music just never hit me. It should have because, you know, I was, was very, I was in my early 20s. When yeah. I'm a contemporary basically with those bands mm -hmm. as far as age goes, but it just never hit me. Um, I was never That's into wild. it. Um, when did you, so you have Zor now, and then you said there was a lineup change in the, in the 90s. When did uh, Music Alley come into play? Right at the same time. So I had a busy life. Um, by that point, I had two kids. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. How many kids do you have total? I have three total. Okay. Yep. I, I th I, I've yep. only ever known your daughter. I have, I'm guessing yeah, you're youngest. So, so yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have two older kids. Okay. Yeah. Two ah. kids like in your age bracket and then um, uh, one younger uh, one. So um, it, that's always kept me, you know, as, as much as I love music, um, you know, I've had great relationships with all three kids and, and done so much with them um, with sports and different activities and things. Coached a lot of teams and, yeah. and um, I would never have traded that for anything. It was like... Um, uh, an amazing of what made life for me uh, up to this point so wonderful. Yeah. Um, so um, even though I loved music, it has its place centered around, you know, my children, especially in, in all that. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, I view 
life the same way. So my, my the very first episode, my wife and I were talking about how her mindset is, and it works because we're we're opposite. So it works out. Is is she goes work, work school, uh, kids, then me, and then mine is is uh, her kids work. So like we kind of balance each other out there and keep each other kind of grounded. But, uh, but yeah, if we were both just, you know, work, 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 we'd never, that's a tough, yeah, that's (laughs) tough. Yeah. Um, but she has more aspirations than me. That's why she's, she's, you know, getting her doctorate while teaching full time, being a mom and a a wife. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, before we get too much into music alley, I I just have to ask real quick, did, did Zor ever tour with any like pretty big name bands at all? Um, not tour, but we were lucky enough to have played opening slots for some national acts. Okay. Um, the last time of which was not that f- long ago, we opened up for the Marshall Tucker Band, um, who's What's a platinum that? selling. That was at the um, yeah, uh, uh, Trout, Trout Run, Trout Run Campground. Yeah. I think it was just pre-COVID, yep. so it might have been 2019. He had Oyster Cult in, and I, my parents and I went there to that. Okay, one. and he asked us to to open for those guys as well. Um, so they've been very gracious to us, uh, Kevin and the folks at Trout Run. Um, Blue Oyster Cult. Um, we had another gig that day, um, so I I respectfully declined. And I'm not so sure that our um, type of music would have been a perfect match for for opening for them because they're a little heavier. Yeah, um, that's the kind of music I grew up with. <laughs> yeah, um, but we were also on tap to open for 38 Special. Yeah, um, and then COVID hit. So, and that. we've opened for Bad Company, and we've been okay. yep, we've been offered slots for other bands like Molly Hatchet and the Goo Goo Dolls. So, just being sort of known in this area, um, um, when you are, the, I mean, Zor. Let's be real; it's the premier band in our well, area. I, I feel in this other we've tier. been very lucky, and, <laughs> and I've I've felt very lucky mm-hmm. to have um, had a long run to be able to have um, played for multi-generations of yeah. folks, um, being braced by the community. So um, we've been lucky, very, very lucky. Um, so we work hard at it, and um, we're just lucky to have been around this long. You're a humble guy. You're just well, talented. Yeah. The band's yeah. talented. <laughs> the band is talented, and, and the, the other guys in it now are are both very talented guys. Um, so they make it easy. It's weird. Um, so we're a three piece band, and when you're a three piece band, was it always a three piece? Um, it started as a quartet. So okay. so um, yep. Um, two thousand and two. Um, one of the like the third or fourth or fifth guitar player that we had in, in the other position, um, decided to leave his, his personal life got real busy and whatnot and, and, um, decided to leave. And so we played a couple of gigs as a three piece. Um, and there's lots of benefits to that, um, including, um, the money splits a little bit money, yeah. <laughs> better three ways than fours. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it really was, an eye opener to how good we could make three guys sound and how full. And at the time, it was Monty Case on drums, Roger Carlin on bass, and myself. And those two, really, I respectfully say, are monster players. Yeah, uh, monsters. They're just incredible um, players. So I was so lucky to, because when they took me in Zor, um, you know, when we, you know, the first rehearsals. Um, they wanted a second guitar player mm-hmm. to fill out the, um, but you know, I had something going, um, they had a female vocalist, that, but then when I, um, you know, shortly after, uh, hooked back up in, in 88, I was 
at best, I would say, an average um, or intermediate player. Okay. Um, those guys, and this has happened not only to other players along the way, I would say, but but they took me in, and and I I feel like that I went to Zor College. Okay. As far as musician musicianship goes, and those guys um, provided me with. Um, invaluable musical skills and, and um, experience and, and just being, just watching them and how they approach certain things and uh, practice breaking down parts and harmonies. And, and um, they, so I went to Zora College. I was very, very lucky to have fallen in with the guys that I fell in with. Yeah. Um, and I absorbed it and I took it serious and I appreciate the gift that, that was given me yeah and and um hopefully i've passed that along to other people along the way i'm pretty sure you're an influential guy you've influenced me in my life so well, <laughs> guitar yeah. playing life um well i i'm sure i really appreciate that and uh i'm sure the guys really appreciate you you know talking good about them so yeah but they're, they're um and we've had now probably five or six bass players over yeah. the years. Um, and the guy that's in now, his name is Chris Dayhill. He's the new guy, and he's been in 14 years. So. But do you find that each person, you know, when you have a new lineup change, and you're a local band, so I, I, you can kind of get away with it a little easier. Um, as, as far as, you know, when, when a band changes, a, a membership changes on a really f large touring band, you know, like it's like oh, the end of the world. But with you guys, does it? Did you find that it kind of added a little more uh, diversity to the band? Is because everybody has their own style. Yeah, well, every music change. We've been lucky, so we've always had um, really good players. In, yep. in um, when we had an imminent lineup change coming in in the last many 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 years it was always a bass player um people's life's change and, and you know maybe they have kids that are becoming teenagers and yeah. they know they can't um because you know, we used to play a lot we used to play a lot and and so things like that um lifestyle changes maybe they're moving maybe they have a different job whatever changes um Monty and I always sort of kept the band where we you know we knew we were in for the long haul. Uh, so he and I have really been together um, for 35, almost 36 years. But the bass player changes. Each guy did bring a different set of skills. Mm -hmm. They all covered the base of what you needed um, adequately. Right. And then we would try to tap in what unique talent um, directionally that they're um, – personal talent brought to the band right. so it might you know, not even just be the you know their bass playing skills it could be their singing or anything like yeah, that. yeah sometimes they're singing um uh, the, the guy we got now uh chris day hills is a, a sound whiz so he's okay. he knows equipment he knows um all that stuff um we've had other guys that you know are real good in that area too so you know it, it can be can be almost anything you yeah. know uh, um previous bass player roger carlin um uh, being besides being an incredible bass player, he could fix anything. Um, so you know, <laughs> the truck broke the MacGyver down. guy. <laughs> yeah, the truck broke down. Roger would be there to help fix it. If uh, wow. yeah, oh yeah, if uh, whatever. He, uh, so um, fortunately, I I'm not going to fix anybody's truck. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have that blue van that you? Use I don't. That? I no? sold that. A guy talked me out of it. Believe really? it or not. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. 
I used to love see I my studio used to be right next door, and I used to love pulling in next to that van. Oh yeah, the blue van was great. <laughs> um, but but even more legendary than the blue van, Zor had a nineteen seventy six U haul for twenty five years. Really? Yep. And we bought it um, I, for a couple thousand, maybe three thousand bucks um, at Cooks um, back in the, the late eighties, I think 89. And, and that U-Haul lasted, um, like for 25 years. It was, wow. how many it finally died. The it, estimate. It obviously <laughs> had turned over multiple yeah. times before we even <laughs> got it. I think it, it had over, you know, 150,000. So they were highway miles. It's fine. Highway miles. <laughs> I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood, of like 270,000. Wow. When we got rid of it, but um, yeah, that that was a special thing, uh, just because um, it, we bought it collectively, and then we, you know, had membership changes, and we had to like, you know, redistribute how that was purchased, and it was the one piece of equipment um, uh, that was owned collectively. Everybody else owned their own stuff. Yeah, I don't care. Um, and that always works best that way in a band. So if you're going to put a band together. Um, don't go in gear. together. Yeah. <laughs> just, just yeah. Everybody buy, bring to the table what they bring to the table. That helps. Uh, um, but anyway, we, Monty and I ended up owning the um, uh, U-Haul collectively for all those years. So, did you squeeze the four, the original four members in that, or did you drive separate vehicles? Uh, we drove. Um, the Monty always drove drove himself. Um, although he did keep his drums in there for quite a while. Okay. Um, so usually me and Raj rode in the band truck, right. and Monty would meet us. Huh. What, uh, moving, moving forward with Music Alley, what made you decide to start, uh, and when, what did Music Alley start as a, as like an instrument shop or did it start as a record store? So I worked at the radio station yep. and in 1991, there was a, an impending ownership change in the radio station. Um, a gentleman and his wife, I believe, uh, centered, um, out of the Rochester area and, and they also owned other stations, mm -hmm. um, were in the process of purchasing WJQZ from the founding owners, which were Mike Baldwin and Terry Swift, um, that, that owned, still owned it at the time. So 91. So these guys had owned it for the first five years. When they owned it, it was a fun place to work. It was sort of like a cool, it, it was like WKRP. You'd go in, everybody had their own personality. Um, you know, it was like a little family yeah. um, run place. Um, and we had a format that at the time, um, I think they probably um, had labeled it as um, hot AC, which is adult contemporary, but a hotter, yeah. um, hot means rather than maybe Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond, at the time you could play um, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, oh, Bruce yeah. Hornsby in the range. Uh, it encompassed a little bit more. And then we also had a component where we played Beatles and Stones and yep. some oldies. Um, as long as you didn't play Helter Skelter by the Beatles or something heavier, you know, you could, and it was all um, programmed. You, you had a playlist and you were supposed to stick to the playlist. It wasn't like the DJs could come in and play their own music. Right. Every single song was, was choreographed in card boxes and you played it right, you know. Really? Yep. And, and when I worked there, 86 well, to 91. How did you do that with requests though? Well, requests could be honored. We had a Friday night request show, which okay. I never was on that show. Um, 
um, Chris Eldridge used to do that show. Um, he was uh, he he ended up following me a lot. Um, we grew up on Highland Avenue together. Um, unfortunately, he's passed away now, but he was a really wonderful guy okay. and, a, and a cool guy to. Um, you know, come in after you. So, so I'm working and he would be getting ready for his show. And, and it was always, so he did that show on Friday nights after the afternoon drive. But, um, so WJQC was this impending sale was going and I had just been, um, um, named musical director and program director of the station. So I did that for about maybe six, eight months. And then all of a sudden this ownership change is coming. So I had worked my way up from the they give you a raise and a promotion, and then they sell it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, weekend DJ to afternoon drive, then midday drive. Uh, um, you know, then I'm the morning, uh, not the morning guy, but the mid morning guy. Yeah. Um, and I'm the program director. And I'm choosing the music, and everything's starting to to just really click. And um, then the owners come in, and nothing against the new owners, but it just changed the entire atmosphere of the place. Yeah. Um, so, so the, it wasn't quite as fun of a job at that point. And they changed the music, um, to, um, like standard adult contemporary. Okay. No more hot AC. So now Neil Diamond. Uh, so now I'm looking at playing Barbara Streisand, <laughs> yeah. Neil Diamond, and, and I'm thinking that ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, two amazing artists in their own right. Yeah. You know, nothing against the music, but I'm 25, 24 years old. And I can't see myself um, going through the next 20 years playing that. So, yep. Laid the groundwork for Music Alley. Okay. 91. 91. And uh, so did it, did it start as a... a... Okay, yep. Yeah. So um, uh, two friends, um, Dan Peters, who's been like a, a lifelong friend of my f myself and my family, especially. Um, he was my brother Bill's age. And another friend, Patty Crest, um decided um that wellsville needed at that point the the last sort of music store that was a record shop um at, or at the time ed was no longer doing records and rice music that we had spoken of previously went yeah. out of business i think in 87 okay so they've been out for a while then yeah so there was a vacuum there for either or but it was 91 so what we thought um, would be the best um, course to start a business was CDs. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we started, we were CDs, cassettes, mm -hmm. and stereo equipment. Okay. And we hadn't got into guitars quite yet. Do you need to grab a drink real quick? I'm good now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you hadn't gotten into guitars yet. You were a music shop as far as like a, a, a quote-unquote record store that sold CDs and, yep. and, and said no A-tracks. No eight tracks. Eight tracks were dead by then. <laughs> Those that that kind of died off. Yeah, eight right? tracks was a silly format. Really, <laughs> it, the audio quality wasn't overly great. They switched um, to the next track right in the middle of songs sometimes. Oh, because e each track was only could be a certain length. So right in the middle of a song, they would switch. The only thing that gave you at the time of their design, I think was the portability of being able to go into a vehicle. So yeah. some of the old, old vehicles had eight tracks right built into the stereo. Yep. So that was really their only charm. Um, I think in 91, when we started, I would say cassette was king. Yeah. Cassette I... was king. CDs were, were, 
fastly approaching. Uh, records were dead. Yeah. Records were dead then. And um, that if we only knew if we could have just bought up all the records back then. Well, that's what I did. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, I have the soft spot for records. So when people were like, eh, I'm going to get rid of my records, you want to buy them? I'd be like, yeah, bring them down. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just stored them for a long time um, because I just couldn't, you know, bear the thought of them ending up in a the landfill or at the dump. So, and now so they're that's, back. And, and so I kept, <laughs> and now they're back. Um, so we started out that way and, and we were just lucky. Um, 1991 was like a literal explosion of music that, um, oh, Nirvana, right? Nirvana, Nirvana, Metallica. Metallica. Um, was that when the black album, came the out? black album came out in 91 guns yeah. and roses. Never Use your mind, illusion one or two. Was, oh, okay. Appetite was structured was more eighties. Right? No, that was that was right in that wheel. That was eighties. Yeah. Um, but um Use Your Illusion One and Two, which were the follow ups and they yeah. were a huge deal. That was ninety one. Oh, um Nirvana was like a seismic shift in the music industry. That was ninety one. The Metallica Black album is the best selling album in the history of Music Alley. By far. Really? By far. <laughs> do you have something to track it? Um just here. I, uh, uh, how much would you estimate that you sold? Oh gosh, I couldn't in even. Any format. I, um, uh, initially, cassettes, thousands and thousands. Really, thousands. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that, that's a. Uh, um, you can thank Metallica for your success now. <laughs> Pearl Jam came out. Oh yeah. Um, you're talking about not, not only, and we're talking about like hard rock, but um, you're talking about g- groups. Um, um, Soundgarden. Uh, yeah, all those grunge artists came yeah. out. Um, but then in the rap field, you or hip hop field, you had like Dr. Dre, The yeah. Chronic. You had yep. Snoop Doggy Dog. Um, you had Public Enemy. These bands were coming out. Uh, you had Ice Cube, and all that stuff was coming out in country. Um, in short order, you had people breaking like. I hate to say this, but Billy Ray Cyrus um, yeah, well, at hey. the time was huge. Um, <laughs> and then in short order, Garth Brooks uh, uh-huh. broke big, um, Shania Twain. So, um, and then in just uh, the rock field, um, people that were getting rid of their record collection, now they wanted to replace their Led Zeppelin CDs or the Red Led Zeppelin records yeah. with CDs and, yep. and their ZZ Top records with CDs. And so all those catalog artists that were classic rock um you know they were huge uh so it was just like the right time for that business um so cds quickly became king but the first year or two i'd say cassettes still outsold cds but um you know from then on cds just became huge can i tell you something the Mm -hmm. first album i ever bought of um, for myself was in uh it was like in in a salmon goodies or something but it was it was corn's uh self-titled first release okay yeah <laughs> one with a shadow yeah it, would bl- it had blind out and everything yeah. it was a cassette tape and it was had the parent had the parental advisory oh, yeah. on it and yep. i was i think i was like 12 and uh we i i took it up there and the dude just like looked at me and he looked you, down, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like yeah, I don't think he got paid enough to care. He sold it to me. Yeah, I think for a time there, I think like technically they wanted people to be 14. In was order. it 14? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I thought I just assumed that it was like 17 or 18. I think it was 14. That, that, um, that, I was that clearly morning. not 14. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, so Corn Corn uh, Corn self-titled, original self-titled was the, uh, the first album I ever bought. Ah, so it was yeah. like it was on sale for five bucks or something like that because it was a cassette. Because like you oh, said, yeah. this is when yeah. CDs had taken over, and I wish I still had that because it's probably worth so much money. 
because cassette people are buying cassettes again. Bands are releasing cassettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> they're, they're more. I don't think that's going to catch on. But, no, but, I think yeah. they're they're more just kind of like a, a nostalgic kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, they're still they're coming up in money. Yeah, I um, noticed that. Uh, so when did guitars come in? Um, or musical instruments? Shortly into um, our inception, which was ninety well, September of ninety one, I'd say into ninety two. We start, you know, we were gauging people's interests and people's, um, uh, what they were looking for. And we got, we started, we always had guitar strings right from the beginning. Yep. And um, so we wanted to fill that so people would at least be able to buy guitar strings, picks, and drumsticks without having to drive mm. 30 miles or whatever. Did you, did you always sell like the, the woodwind reeds and everything like that too? Yeah. Um, I used to come in and buy those. Yeah. When I sex. Yeah. So, um we tried to keep the small goods um, as far as uh, musical needs go. But um, we got asked enough about guitars um, in 92, 93, um, I think 92, that I decided to look into what it would be if, if we became a dealer for a certain brand. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked to Fender, we talked to Gibson, and we talked to Washburn as far as the acoustic um, guitars go. So the buy-in or initial dealership agreement for the Gibson and Fenders was like unbelievable what they expected you would buy from them and had to sell every year. So the idea of being able to do that in Wellsville, it would have been crazy. I would have loved to have been a Fender dealer or a Gibson dealer, but they wanted you to buy in, in, in 1990s, like $25,000 worth of Jesus. their stuff on your first order and then maintain like, um, that every year. So it would have been difficult, um, in being in tune with what, you know, I thought we really could do and, yeah. and not get a, you know, go out on a limb and get something that we couldn't keep, um, and maintain the Washburn buy-in was really, it was like 12 guitars. Um, and they were an acoustic guitar that had models, and I still have some today. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was an acoustic guitar that was had ranges from like entry level all the way up to super professional. Really? But it had a niche in there where I thought we could sell guitars, um, nice guitars for under 200 bucks at the time. Mm -hmm. um, they had solid tops and, and and they did have some electrics, even though they've never been known for their electrics. So so we went with Washburn um, to start with just to kind of see. And I, we bought in at the 12 guitars yeah. um, that they wanted us. And, and, and ever since then, we've, we've had some guitar presence. And as the guitar presence um, became more popular, um, in you know you can only dedicate so much space to stuff that yeah. that doesn't sell stereo equipment sort of um was on the downside things were getting more miniature and yeah. <laughs> um, you know so people weren't looking for huge home systems anymore so we sort of phased that out and 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 expanded the guitars a little bit um but pre-recorded music um it really has always been the biggest focus of the yeah. store and and now sort of records are are Record, there's the records are definitely just back. They're not even coming back. They're back. I think, not not as much because you because they're not fighting with CDs anymore. Records are the records are the physical media now because there's MP3s and Spotify. Right, and people. Um, do you, do you not agree with that? Do you oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Records <laughs> records are definitely. Um, 
it's a different experience. And, and you, you know, some people like the convenience and, and speed of uh, popping up a playlist on their yep. Spotify or, or whatever, um, Pandora, they, mm-hmm. they just sort of pop it on. But the people that really get super connected with music, um, to hold a record is, is a whole different thing. <laughs> I watched your podcast with Rich here, and, yeah. and he talked about, you know, opening something and having the smell of the, the, the new shoe, the running shoes yep. or whatever at the time. The records are the same way. I mean, I have probably 600 records in my collection at home. And What does that look like? Do you um, have shelves or are they I scattered? I have one or? really nice shelf <laughs> that my kids bought me for uh, Christmas one year that oh, my, nice. my nephew made. And it's really cool. So the 600 is a pretty Stout collection. Um, certainly, people have a lot more, but that um, I can pull almost any record out. I know exactly where it is. Well, I know where it is. They're in alphabetical order, oh. and I know which ones I'm missing um, because I've lo- <laughs> loaned them out and never got them back. <laughs> um, but if you more, have Rick's what, uh, records, bring them back. <laughs> uh, um, but even more so, you can pull out a record. And it's different than a CD because I never had the connection with a CD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can pull out a record and I can say, oh, man, I bought that at the White Marsh Mall in 1985. Yeah. Um, right before I left uh, Baltimore back for Wellsville. Um, you know, and it'll be Bruce Springsteen, Border Run or whatever. Uh, born in the USA. And, and a record, when you hold it, it's a different thing. The art is bigger. Yeah. Um, the liner notes connect you. Uh, there, There's room um, more room for information to consume. Yeah. Um, and there's a distinct smell when you crack the, um, cellophane and, and you get that vinyl for the first <sighs> time. Um, so yeah, any one of my records can really transport me back to the, probably the time where I bought it. So they're, they're really cool in that way. They, they just like have this mojo that, that, yeah. um, for me, I guess, because I'm a music guy and I'm a record guy more than, you know, that's my f- favorite. I've always loved records. Speaking of pulling you back real quick, what is your, uh, what is your number one, like coming of age album? Jack? Okay. So only one. No, no, one. no, no, no. Oh, I have one. I, have one. <laughs> um, I actually have two, but oh. um, so n- uh, number, number one, this is a kind of a cool story. Um, Big end department store for folks um, that are um, of the age that would know is out where um, Ames? Ames was. Yes. It predated, predated Ames. Oh, okay. Um, and it was an incredible, incredibly cool store. And it was Wellsville's first sort of, maybe Newberry's might have beat it, which was on the corner here on Main, which was a cool store too. Yeah. But anyway, Big End had a really cool record um, department. And, and um, so when I was a kid, we had five kids. I'm the youngest of five. And my mom would take us once in a while um, to Big End. And generally not all of us, it was like a rotational kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if it got to be your turn and you got to go with mom to Big End, it was usually one or two of us got to go. Yeah. And, and you were good. Um, she, for me, it usually meant like she would buy you something that equaled a dollar. Okay. Um, so in, in, in big end, they had a great record, uh, department and they had 45s, which were 99 cents. And I think that Rich was talking about those. And and they they also had a lot of baseball cards, which were 10 cents a pack. (laughs) So the kids and and adults that buy uh, cards now in the packs are like five bucks. Oh, Pokemon cards are $6 at times. My kids are into Pokemon. (laughs) So So I was not, I was buying, you know, tops, baseball and basketball and football cards. 
in the in the seventies for ten cents a pack. <sighs> Usually at Boots's store on Stephen Street in Wellsville, but yeah. at all these corner stores. And if I couldn't get the guy I was looking for, I was like superstitious. I would try Fredericks or one of the other stores. <laughs> um, Someone has to have what I'm. But big N, um, I would either get cards. Usually it was cards at the time. They, but but every once in a while it would be a forty-five. And and I remember one time. Um, my brother, my sister, and myself went, um, and my two oldest sisters didn't go, but, and we all picked out a 45. I, and I remember it was around 73 because I got um, Paul McCartney banned on the run. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my brother got um, Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. And my sister, Lisa, got The Locomotion. By Grand Funk. All three great songs. All three great songs. <laughs> and, and, and you know, at my house, you know, if it was yours, you didn't want anybody else messing with it. <laughs> so, you know, you didn't get to touch their records. Did especially. you only have one record player? Did you have? Um, we, we had one in the living room and, and that one that I was speaking of that we, we, we kind of shared. The suitcase yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, um, so, um, I, so I think it would have been early 74. Um, so I was probably eight years old in in. I love Band on the Run. Great song. Mm-hmm. So I made a really cool choice. But but when my brother would leave to go do something and I started playing his record, I liked <laughs> I liked his better than I liked mine. Really? And his was Sweet Home Alabama. Um, so the guitar, even then, mm-hmm. that, that's what spoke to me, um, the way that guitar riff came in. So um, that leads to, okay, where did this come from? This is a 45 with one song. Yep. It came from an album, uh, a, a larger collection Um and that album was second helping. Yep. So that was one of the very first records I ever purchased. Still one of my favorite to this day. And it's because it connected, you know, my love of guitar and hearing the guitar come in on that song to now, you know, so. Is that the one with Freebird on it? It is not. No, okay. it's, it's it's the follow-up. Um, and the one with Freebird's a great record, too. Um, that's their debut yep. um, called Pronounced Leonard Skinner. But Second Helping <laughs> came next. Um, and ah. so, yeah. so their sophomore is your is your number one. I was yeah. honestly, I was going to, I, I, I assumed that it would have been a Bob Dylan record. Yeah. I like them very well too. Um, whenever so. I talk to you, you always bring up Bob Dylan. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, his lyrics are in, um, uh, they're just so astounding that, mm-hmm. that, um, when you hear his w- words and you think how somebody could like shape words in yeah. that fashion to have such a profound impact um so he he's he's an amazing um obviously the music is just basic um three or four chord music so it's not like uh um any real intricate um musically but the lyrics certainly are in the way they they rhyme and in everything i remember asking you when i was younger because i've been coming into the shop since i was man i was probably 12 11 or 12 um, I remember asking you like, cause I, I, my generation was new metal. So like right. Lincoln Park and Stain, yeah. Disturbed, yeah. all those guys. Uh, and, and I was like, what's your, what do you, what do you think the heaviest album that you ever listened to was? And you're like, well, yeah. And I can't remember what the name of the album was, but it was definitely, it was, Bob Bob D- it was a Bob yeah. Dylan album. And, and you were like, my heavy is kind of different from, from your heavy. And like, <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah. That would be the one I would probably told you to listen to the one with the song, uh, with God on our side and, and, yeah. and all those, um, because the lyrics are like, whoa, they I, are heavy. I honestly can't remember what it was. I just yeah. remember that it was Bob Dylan. I'm like, Bob Dylan. It's yeah. not heavy because I'm thinking heavy is in like down tuned guitars, you know, like right, right, right. Smash it down. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, being here all those years, you know, I would have every day, not, not as much now, but back in the day, somebody would come in and they're like, Hey, what do you think of the new, you know, corn album? Yeah. And it'd be like, <laughs> it's outside the scope of my listening pleasure, but I, I, I wouldn't really want to say, you know, yeah. oh, I don't like corn. dude. <laughs> you can't uh, say that when you you're in a record store. Right. So I haven't heard that yet. Um, but I hear it's good. You know, I hear people <laughs> like it. I, you know, I never would want to dissuade somebody from, from following the path that, 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 that moves yeah. them musically. Um, so, but, but yeah, Bob Dylan, if you listen, there's some heavy stuff on there. Well, my 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 coming of age album, which I've bought, I don't know how many times because I kept wearing out the CD. It would chip. Uh, is Stains Break the Cycle? Um, and I remember like I had this little CD player boombox that I would bring into the to the car because I don't know why we had it, but my parents would have to buy C batteries like every uh, every other day. But uh, and like when it would swear because I bought the 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 unedited one I'd, I'd like hit it and i didn't realize that even if i hit it it would just start back up from where where it was because i try to block out the swears because ah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't want your parents to hear i didn't it want or? my parents to hear yeah. the swears and they didn't they might confiscate yeah they didn't, they didn't care but uh but i got into it because uh you know greg my stepdad listened to the heavier stuff and um so i'm like all right i'll give rock a try and it was it was lincoln park and then when the stained album it was outside I don't know if you've heard that song. Oh, I'm familiar with that song. Yeah, but that he did was... that. With, I heard it on the radio when he did it with Fred Durst live, and I was like, "Wow, I really like that." And Aaron Lewis is is definitely not my favorite person from what what he became, but I still love. Um, I love all all their their records because they are pretty in my mind, pretty powerful and they're heavy. Yeah. Um, that's what got me into baritone guitars was just like wanting to get that low tone and the, and the deepness. Right. Nice. Uh, but, uh, but my wife this past year, they, 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 they came back and they, she's like, do you want to go see him? I'm like, no, <laughs> cause I don't want, I don't want their legacy to be tainted with, you know, if, if he goes on on one right. of his tangents yeah. that he's yeah. well known for now. And yeah. I'm like, I just want to keep them, like I'll still the album is great. I'll still listen to it, but I don't want to. I don't want to take that chance. Which, right. Oh, I have. I've seen there's five bands times, like that now. You know. <laughs> uh, so I haven't seen Leonard Skinner in many years, and it's sort of the same thing with them. Um, you know, they had a tragic history and a plane yep. crash, and and um, even though I never got to see the original band, I saw the band as they regrouped, where it had a good bit of members that were yeah. uh, still in, but you know, as it dropped off one by one by one. <clears throat> their sort of um, newer music changed in in the way that just the lyrical tenor of it in the um, and it sort of turned me off to a little bit to their newer stuff and to the fact that you know you got a band now that there's nobody in it that made the music that's a tough call I mean I you know mm-hmm. I guess support the fact that they, they can still go play and earn a living doing it but. Um, you know, you were getting there's zero of seven original members. It's tough uh, in that regard. I have, we gotta we gotta wrap up in a couple minutes, but I do have uh, I have a couple more things. First of is going to be, I just want your opinion on something because we we kind of touched on it just a little bit just now. But what uh, do you think that there's a time when bands should just call a day so like the legacy bands that like um so like guns and roses i mean axel can't sing anymore you know my, the bands like that <laughs> motley Crue, they can't they can't 
They just can't do that it. That guy anymore. never really could sing. Right. So, which one? <laughs> Vince Neil. Okay. <laughs> so, but do you think, do you think there's a time? Cause, cause I mean like the stones are still, are still going strong and they obviously don't sound as, as, like they used to, but they don't sound bad. You know, right. here's the interesting thing. My take on, on, on bands and music. Um, at some point in this, this, you could even approach it on a local level like Azor. Um, a band at some point, if they're charging and making money, mm-hmm. is also a business entity. Yeah. And it has to be set up in that regard at some point um, and structured as a business entity. So you get a band like a Foreigner or a band like Leonard Skinnerd mm-hmm. or a band like where um, there's no original members um, all of a sudden, but there is a corporation and there right. is um, management and principles branding that, branding that, that, so they, they run that out there and they, they make money um, off of the brand that they've built, regardless of who's making the music on stage. Right. And if they had any connection to the glory days of that particular band, um, that is a hard one to swallow, but, but in the end it is a business. Um, so, you know, that's fair game for my, um, you know, liking when a band gets to the point where they have lost all connections to the, the original membership, that that's a hard sell. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, with Guns N' Roses, um, I think there's still got some creativity left in, in oh, sure. I wasn't, um, they're talented. Um, yeah. But and Axel can't, I mean, Axel, he's key. He does better than most of that right. generation. Well, but. Uh, um, the biggest <laughs> one you think of is, is, is when you saw Van Halen, um, oh, yeah. uh, touring and when it was David Lee Roth was back and, mm-hmm. and the poor guy, he can't even carry a, a yeah. tune anymore. His, bon his voice is starting shot. to, yeah, to he's starting shot. to, those guys, um, the problem with some of those guys is they wrote all their songs at the very top of their range. Yeah. So when they were in their 20s and 30s, you know, they could easily go out there and and, and, and fly up to the top of their range and mm-hmm. hit those notes. But now, you know, Bon Jovi's in probably 60, early 60s or whatever he is. Um, those notes might not even be in his, his range wheelhouse, yeah. any longer. On a good day, he might be able to go there, but on a bad day, it might expose, you know. So sometimes they have to adjust keys and, and things like that. But, um, you know, that's why I uh, take my head off um, to the Stones. Yeah. Um, take Because they still, and I read a great article on Keith Richards um, uh, last night. He's had to change the way that he plays because his fingers are so arthritic. The dude's 79. Yeah, I mean, they're so. <laughs> So he he said, you know, he can still play. He can't play everything that he used to play, but it's open to the doors to things he might not have thought of because now he has limitations and he has to rethink things. But then you take Jagger, he's kept himself in great condition. Yep. And... They're both pickled. I feel like their their bodies are just pickled. They're they're yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely Keith. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Mick is like this um, case study of a guy that's always maintained physical fitness. Yeah. Matter of fact, his dad was the English um, um, fitness guide guru, a governmental position um, when he was young. That, yeah. That's what his dad did. Um, so that's always been part of his regiment. Um, he's even if he's a child. So the dude he's. 80 and he can run around for yeah. two hours. They play two plus hours. Their sets are, their concerts are long and um, incredible. To- That's crazy. I was listening to an interview with um, uh, 
Gene Simmons, right? Who's Kiss? Gene Simmons, yeah. Gene Simmons, the bass and, player. And he, they, they, you know, they keep coming back with multiple farewell tours. But he, yeah. he was talking. He's like, we can't. We're we're not. And he he wasn't putting the Rolling Stones down, but he was like, we're not the Rolling Stones where they can just come out in sneakers and t-shirts. Right. You know, they have such a theatrical yes. performance yes. that. It's just hard for them wearing to, six inch heels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just hard not for them to keep fall going. Off those when you're, and I think you know, I think I think like when Journey, because I love I love Journey. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> My mom listens to that. I know how you feel about them, <laughs> but but when 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 uh, when Steve left, it's like what? Why? Why keep going? I mean, I know that the band. Yeah, there's a tough one. Um, because the new guy is great. I'm not putting Arnell right. down, but it's not. But he's essentially copying. Yeah, the old it's guy. karaoke yeah. Of, of, yeah. Of, of Steve Perry, and and then they have uh, Queen has um, uh, Adam Lambert. Adam now. Lambert, who's yeah. a, again a phenomenal singer, but it's not Freddie Mercury. It's like why? When you lose a front man that sings, yeah, that is a difficult thing. It's it has easier, a unique voice too. Yeah, it's easier to um, replace, uh, say, a drummer or a bass yeah. player or a guitar player um, and get away with it. But when you change uh, the vocalist, then you're essentially changing the entire sound. It's just start a new band, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. But, but, but I get the, but I get again, the brand and business. Yeah, yeah the yeah, business side. Has always got such a huge impact on, on yep. you know, if there's still a value in, in touring and people will pay to hear, you know, yeah. hired guns play the original music, I guess that that's a that's, fair I game. Mean, I guess if you're not going into it, like if you're a new fan that kind of finds their songs on Spotify, right. Pandora. And that's what a lot of it is. is they somebody, really. Yeah. They don't have a connection yep. to the original um, band, so they don't feel that emotional, um, like, geez, I'm going to go see such and such without, yeah. you know. Um, but if if the stones the stones are so iconic, and they hold up as the best example because they started in the early '60s, so we're talking 60 years. Yeah, no, they're still um, great. <laughs> they're still great. They still can cut it live. Yep. They still have some. They've got a new album coming out, so they're still creative, um, and they still have most of their principal members in place. Yep. Um, so so it still has relevance. Um, so it's nice to see. Um, I would go see them now. Um, when their next tour comes out, because uh, you never know, these uh, great rockers are are you know dying off yeah. quickly one by one. And uh, such a magical time in American musical history, um, you know, groups uh, that became iconic in the '60s, '70s, and '80s um, are slowly dwindling down. So, yeah. and they're the, I mean they're the legacy bands at this point. Bands are right like my in my wheelhouse. Bands are trying to be the Metallicas of, of like my generation, you know, they're trying to be that, right. That, uh, like bands like Papa Roach and, and stuff like that are, and they say that and people are, are smashing them. But in reality, Metallica's going to be slowing down eventually. So someone else right. has to kind of step up and not fill the shoes. I'm not saying that. And, and, and bands, any band that's still touring now, but I think, uh, we are in that shift of, yeah, we need it's some happening. good bands to come out. Yeah. Uh, there are some. There's yeah. some, at least in, in in the, you know, the rock genre. There's there's some bands like Bad Omens and and uh, Bring Me the Horizon and other bands that are kind of right. It. Unfortunately, and that, and they're not getting stuff, the exposure so um, that yeah. allows them to sell enough music to connect with enough people to fill, um, you know, auditoriums or stadiums. Yeah. So well, Bring Me the Horizon is getting there. I yeah. I remember I went I saw them for the first time in Pittsburgh with my buddy Mike and I've never been to a show 
where the crowd was singing so loud I could not even hear because I like just that would be Tom Petty. When was he, it Tom oh Petty? My, yeah, yeah <laughs> almost to the Petty point too. where it was like, "Come on, yeah. <laughs> quiet down, guys." Yeah, let me hear Tom. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, they. I mean, it's a loud show, anyways. But I can't. I couldn't hear him over the the crowd, just like pelting out their song. That's yep. gotta be a great feeling. My, yep. I guess my last question is, uh, how is it a feeling from that when 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 you go to shows and fans are singing your original songs, what does that feel like? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And we've have, um, you know, I've had at least one song or where I'll run into somebody from an area that'll say, yeah, we cover that song. Wow. It's just like, that's cool. Wow. It's just an interesting, um, interesting thing. But, um, yeah, it's really, really kind of interesting, um, to be able to pull out uh, an original or two and have people either ask for it or sing along to it. That's, um, you know, a pretty cool feeling, um, uh, sort of a sense of accomplishment that you created something that had some impact, um, um, is just satisfying as far as being a musician that dedicated some time to original music. Yeah. Well, Rick, you've had a 30 plus year. Oh, oh okay. Hold on. What's going on? Okay. I almost forgot this. So he saw me moving records around earlier. I did. <laughs> oh he, my God. He's been um, asking <laughs> for the next time I get this record in uh, tears for fears for, I would say a couple of years. And, and for years here at the store, um, I would say this was like pop rock from the um, 80s. This is a new wave. Right? Um, kind of with a new wave, yeah, yeah. new wave um, um, sort of feel. And for for the longest time, those records were a dime a dozen. I couldn't couldn't get rid of them. And I had tons of bands. But as this record hobby is is encompassing different um, age groups, um, those bands started to get really hot and people were buying them up. So I haven't had this album in for probably a year and I just got it in. And, and because Nick is such a great community. <laughs> Such a great community guy. <laughs> I wanted to give him this record on his own podcast. Um, so that's for you, Nick. This is amazing. You're going to make me cry. I'm an emotional guy, for one. <laughs> so am I. It's like I, I coach girls softball, um, a 12-year-old group, and, and I tell them, the first thing I tell them at practice is, um, there's no crying. Yeah, there's no crying. If you baseball. strike out, there's no crying. There's, um, if, if you get mad, there's no crying. If you get hurt, you can cry. And if we win, we can all cry together. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Thank you so much. I've, I've been looking for this record, not just here, anywhere. And no one has this record. It became uh, pretty hot. They're, they're, this is they're a heavy touring. song. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're too, they were just yeah. in Canadago and I didn't see them and I'm yep. punching myself. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. And uh, is there anything that you would like to say to just the community or your fans, you know, that have, that have been around for the past 30 plus years? Um, I think the, the community has always been great. Um, I feel like our community, um, of course, Wellsville, but even uh, just the surrounding area, even the Western New York area encompassing Buffalo, we have like the spirit of a pay it forward kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that being instilled in me and, and I hope that I can pass that on. So I just like the idea of being kind of a pay it forward kind of guy and, and, um, uh, that that's sort of how I approach things. Um, you know, leave something better than what you got it and, and, and go from there. With that, um, you'd mentioned that you wanted to to bring up to close out here uh, a benefit that you're going to be doing, right? Um, so 
Um, we have a benefit coming up for uh, the Zor's performing that some folks are putting on um, October 22nd, which is a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it's at the field house. They're opening the field house up special for this benefit, um, like noon to five time with a big um, Chinese auction. And it's for um, a young child that's been diagnosed with cancer, um, a local family that happened to be my neighbor's. Uh, Tom Muska, he's the coach of the Wellsville High School yep. varsity boys basketball team. Um, so that's going on October 22nd. Okay. That's so fantastic. if folks uh, could uh, see it uh, maybe in their schedule to just pop by and, and drop uh, five bucks into uh, yeah. the pot, that would be uh, awesome to help that family. And they can just stay for the tunes. Or stay for, for the <laughs> tunes. Got a, a really good musical lineup that day. Um, so. Um, we got Matt Burns playing. We've, oh, yeah. Uh, we've got Adam Stack playing. we got Zor playing. Um, Adam so. Stack. Mm, that guy's a guitarist. Very good guitar player. Very good guy. <laughs> His yeah. singing's getting much better. Oh, he's too. great. Yeah, he's great. Um, well, thank you very much for being on, uh, Rick, and uh, look forward to hearing what Zor has coming out next. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Nick.